Amen. If you love Jesus, can I get a hallelujah? Woo! Look at your neighbor, Sam. Glad that you came. Amen. I got good news and I got bad news. Which news do you guys want first? Okay, everybody said bad news. Okay, the bad news is you live in Chicago and it's been raining two days straight and it's 34 degrees. That is the bad news. Y'all ready for the good news? The good news is you don't live where my friends live in Minneapolis, where they're getting 12 inches of snow for the last two days and had to cancel church. So look at your neighbor and say, I'm glad to be in Chicago. (laughs) Uh, We got to find something positive, amen. At least we're alive in the presence of God. The sun is always shining here. The S-O-N sun. Open up your Bibles with me, please, to Ephesians 4.17. Ephesians 4.17. Today we're going to talk about putting off hate and putting on love. This is a wonderful time to be a part of our church if you're new. If you haven't uh, started reading the book of Ephesians, I would ask that you would do that. We're going through the book verse by verse for the entire year. Today we're going to learn about something so important, not hating but loving. How many know Jesus loves us? Amen. And so we need to love others. When we look at the book of Ephesians, what we see is a breakdown as we've gone through it verse by verse. Basically, you could summarize the first four chapters as being heavenly minded, the last two and a half chapters being earthly good. The old saying, don't be so heavenly minded, you're of of no earthly good, is not true. You can be so heavenly minded, you can change the earth for good. That's the way Jesus taught us to live. If you've missed any of these messages, go back and check them out. They're all online or on our app for free. And right now, we're in the instructions for Christian living. And what that means is how to live as a Christian. And as you read through the passage, you'll see these 17 things listed. Our notes are online and on the app as well if you can't read all the details up there. But there are 17 things we learn in this passage that we do as Christians. So we shouldn't just take our Christian-minded um, our, our beliefs just in the mind, in the mental realm. They should come out to our actions. Somebody say, walk like you talk. Amen. Thank you. Are you with me now in Ephesians 4, 17? Let's start reading. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding, separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. They've lost all sensitivity. Somebody say all sensitivity. Thank you. They've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in Him in accordance with the truth that's in Jesus. So today as we talk about taking off hate, putting on love, we have to understand that we can't think about this as non-Christians do. Non-Christians or Gentiles, those who do not keep the commands of God, will think that forgiving your enemy is not the right thing to do, that you should take vengeance upon them, and that if they really hurt you, being bitter is not a bad thing, and talking about them, it's not a bad thing because they deserve it. That's the way the world will look at it, and then some people on the world will get so upset at their neighbor, they'll go on Jerry Springer or Maury to talk about it. They have no shame, but the Bible says you haven't learned about God this way. This is not your religion, religion in the sense of practicing your spirituality. We know it's a relationship 
relationship. But as Christians, we have a practice of religion, a practice of spirituality, and our practice is not like the world's. And the world has a starting point. Everybody starts from somewhere. You can call this a worldview or a foundational belief or an axiom. And the world starts, as Paul says right here, in a darkened understanding. If I put you in a room with all the lights out, blindfolded, and said, guess what's in there? How many think you could start guessing what's in there? You couldn't do it. If you were darkened in your eyes, and if the room was dark, you couldn't guess one thing. How many of you can see today in the light and can tell me some things in this room? Right? It's pretty easy when the lights are on. So if you're talking to somebody and it looks like they're not seeing what you're seeing, chances are they're separated from the life of God. They don't see Christianity the way that you do. Now, we can be Christians and darkened in other things. Like, I can be darkened towards engineering. I can be darkened towards physics and not understanding. And then the light bulb comes in. But what Paul is talking about here is darkened in their spiritual life. And then the Bible says that they're separated from the life of God. And so this is very important that we understand this. We do not change ourselves to love people more. Christianity is not a do-better religion. And let me ask you this. Are you created first in Christianity or do you do good works first in Christianity? Oh, y'all don't know? Half of you don't even know. I don't think so. Let me ask again. Are you created first or do you do good works first? Okay, some of y'all caught up then. Okay, it's you're created first. Look back at Ephesians 2, 8. It's that heavenly-minded stuff that we've already gone through, but we shouldn't forget it. Look at it. Ephesians 2, 8 says, For we are saved by grace, or it's by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It's the what of God? It's the what? The gift. Help me preach. It's the what? Gift. Thank you. It's the gift of God, not by works. So do you learn to forgive your enemy by working really hard at it? I'm going to try better, try better. I'm going to do meditation. I'm going to go out and do a bunch of good works and change myself. Is that what you do? No, you're created first in Christ Jesus. You're saved first. And then it gets clear in verse 10 to this point. It says, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus first to do good works second, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So when we look at the trouble that the Christian is, uh, the non-Christian is having, that they're separated from God, they're darkened in their understanding, why does that happen? That happens because their heart is hard. They don't have the heart of love. They have a heart of stone. So do you give yourself a, a, a heart transplant? Do you spiritually make yourself a new creation? How much did you have to do in making yourself born in the physical? Like, like being born. Did you have to help your mom and dad get together and get it on? Okay, in the womb, did you have to make your heart start pumping? Tears came in my eyes when I saw baby Titus in the, uh, in, in the room there as they were doing the, this, what is it, sonogram? Ultrasound, thank you. And it's a sonogram? Ultrasound, thank you. What is a sonogram? Does anybody know? Nobody knows the difference? Sonogram is the same thing. Okay, you can double check that, Karina, but it looks like somebody's saying it's the same thing. You're trying to correct your pastor now. No, I'm kidding. She's helping me. She's helping. But we're watching uh, this, this heartbeat. I mean, you hear it first. They do it, and then they show you the heart. Did you make your heart beat in the womb? Did you make your brain develop? How about when it came to push and come into the real world? Did you have to help then? Were you like, I'm going to help mom. I'm grabbing on whatever I can. Here I come. It's gross. But are you, are you tracking with me? How about when you were a little baby? Did you teach yourself how to swallow food? <laughs> 
Did you teach yourself how to talk and all of those things? No. Before you even knew yourself, your body was doing those things. It was happening. Some people would call instinct. I would say you are fearfully and marvelously made. God created you to be that way, okay? Well, it's the same thing with becoming born again. This is what Jesus said. You cannot see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. So spiritually being born, do you do a bunch of good things to make your spirit new on the inside? Do you go to church a whole bunch? You start keeping the commands of God. You start reading your Bible. You're going to be changed. No, the same way you didn't have anything to do with the flesh the first time, you don't have anything to do with the Spirit. All you have to do, according to the Bible, as we saw before in Ephesians 2, is receive the free gift. You have faith to receive it because God won't force on you to be born again. It is true he has forced on you the first existence. There's nothing you can do about that. Even people who take their own lives only just realize that the life eternal, the one after, keeps on going. So there's no way out of it. Now, you are an eternal soul. You have a problem with that? Take it up with your creator. But that's a done deal. So now as an eternal soul, he does give you a choice. Do you want to stay as a soul separated from God? Because that's how we're born. We're born this way, as we're reading in the chapter 4. We're born separate from God. Darkened in our understanding, and our hearts are hard. Because think about children, even though they're innocent to their hardness, even though they're innocent to their separation, it comes natural to them. Think about it like this Do you have to teach a child to lie or teach a child not to lie? So, who's going around teaching them how to lie then? Where are they learning that from? Are you sneaking around teaching my children how to lie? No, you have to teach them not to lie because lying comes natural. Do you have to teach them to be selfish or to teach them to share? Mine, mine, it just comes so naturally, doesn't it? You see, we're born in a disobedient default. That's why we need to be born again in an obedient default, and the choice is yours now. Amen? And then at some point, you know, somebody gets sassy and says, well, what about those people in Africa, you know, who've never heard the gospel or whatever? Well, there's two things about that. Number one, you're not in Africa. You're hearing the gospel right now, so that don't apply to you. Let's talk about you. That ain't none of your business. Uh, but, but if it is going to be your business, the second thing is, is Romans chapter 1 says God will judge them by their conscience, and that's between them and the judge. So that's between them and the judge. Based on their conscience, God knows their heart. And how many know everybody, no matter where you're born, you're precious in God's sight. You're made in the image of God to reflect him, and you ought to know better. Right, You ought to know better as time goes on, even as the child develops what they call their self-awareness. They'll start to feel conviction over things as a child they never knew were wrong. And parents are to help form the conscious of a young person. That's the duty that we have. So why am I saying all that in today's uh, preview to the message? Is because when we talk about putting off hate and putting off love, it doesn't start from the outside. It doesn't start from all of us demanding our rights. It doesn't start from us saying, you owe me this and I owe you this and you did this to me. No, it starts with all of us admitting we are sinners and being born again given a new heart. Now as a person with a new heart, I can hear your pain and I should treat you as I want to be treated. A person with a new heart will do what people with old hearts will never do. Look around at this church and see the multicultural nature of this church. Look at the multi-age, the multi-genders, amen. Look at how beautiful a church is of, of all different shapes and sizes because we've chosen to love God. We are a picture of heaven on earth. Can I get an amen? 
Amen. And so when we look at this passage, we have to remember that's the way sinners are, but that's not the way we were taught. We were taught to take off our old self. Here it is, verse 22. Let's keep going. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. So you will become your own worst enemy, lying to yourself, to be made new in the attitude of your what? Where are we being made new at? In our minds, thank you. And to put on the new self, created to be like who? God in true righteousness and holiness. So if somebody says, well, pastor, there's nobody's perfect. We're all sinners. That may be true. That's how we were born the first time. But, baby, I was born again the second time to be like God. Yeah, I was born wrong the first time, but I was born again right the second time. Are you tracking with me? I was born first unholy. That's right, but born again holy. So take off the old, put on the new. Let me just say it like this. Everybody look up at me, please. God's not being mean to you. He's not going to dress you up in what your grandma knitted for you at Christmas and try to make you look silly in that sweater. Listen, Jesus comes to you and says, listen, I got you, fam. Say no more. And he puts on the new self, and he says, this is what you were made for. You look a whole lot better when you look like God than when you look like the devil. Can I get an amen? So take off the old and put on the new, and don't make an excuse that you can't do better. Don't say because I was raised this way or because it's a habit for me or I'm addicted to my sin or you don't know how bad it's been for me. God's got a new you for you. You just got to put it on just like all the rest of us. So what does somebody do who has same-sex attraction? Put on the new you and let God make you born again. And so what does somebody do if you have a problem with anger? Put on the new you and learn how to be patient. And what about somebody that struggles here with giving and sharing? They're always taking, you know, put on the new you and you'll see that you have a heart to share share. And most importantly, when it comes to loving, when it comes to forgiving, you put on the new you. You don't stay as the old you. You don't make that excuse anymore. God created you to be like him. I was created to be like God. Isn't that beautiful? And isn't that something that we all feel it on the inside? We all feel from the rappers who try to call themselves by the names of God, like Charlemagne the God. He's really the false God from the Breakfast Club radio show. Or, you know, Jesus, you know, or what Jesus, uh, you know, uh, Kanye. Uh, and, and then all of these God complexes in sports, you know, I'm the best, I'm the best. W why do we always feel that way naturally? And if you say, well, Pastor, I never feel that way, I bet you if I play you in one card game, you're going to try to act like you're the boss of that card game, right? Why or in traffic? Come on, or in line at the superstore, super uh, supermarket? Like you in charge? You you setting how fast everything should move? Why do we all have like a false god complex? It's because we were meant to be like our heavenly Father God. And we all know we're supposed to be the best. We all know we're supposed to be having dominion over the world. We're supposed to be successful. But where does it turn to pride? Is where we say we can do it in our old self, in our sinful self. That's the lie of Satan in the garden. You can be God. You'll take over the world. You'll be able to rule it the way you want to. And look at where we've gone from that point. And so the idea is we're godly, God-like, when we're born again, made the children of God. The Son of Man, or the Son of God became the Son of Man that the Son of men and women might become the sons and daughters of God. Oh, y'all get quiet now. God in heaven took on flesh so that flesh could take on the spirit of God. The son of man became the son of God. Uh, excuse me, the son of man, uh, the son of God, the eternal son of God. Do you all get who he was and who he is? Took on flesh and we saw him as a man so that men might take on the nature of God. 
The, the Bible says you partake in the divine nature. That's 2 Peter. So does that mean we become little gods and those things? No. It just means like father, like son. Like father, like daughter. You're in his, na- you're in his nature. Now, you all may say, Pastor, I don't know if I believe all that. Okay, well, let's just read the Bible again and tell me what you really believe, okay? Let's just read it from this part right here on the count of three. One, two, three. Put created to be like God in true Amen. I'll let you interpret that a different way if you don't agree. But I'm going to hold on to that right there. Amen. I will believe that. Now, from that point, now come the good works. See, once my son is born, now I can teach him math. Now that we've been created to be like God, we can do things like God. That's our example. You're not now to make the excuse, I can't be like God. I was born a sinner. No, you've been given the new you that's like God, so be like God. Okay, so therefore, we tell each other the truth. We put all falsehood. Speak truthfully to your neighbor. We are all members of one body. In your anger, don't sin. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. Don't give the devil a foothold. Anyone who's been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands so that they may have something to share with those in need. Here's going to talk about your words. Don't let any unwholesome words or talk come out of your mouth, but only what's helpful for building others up according to their needs so that it may benefit those who listen. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit, the God that's on the inside of you with whom you've been sealed for the day of redemption. Now get rid of all bitterness, rage, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Do we have any excuses? No, we just say, yes, Lord. I won't be bitter. I'll be better. I'm not going to be angry. I'll be patient. All of those things can happen because I put on the new self. Let me say it like this. If I go into space and I go in the old self right here and I go outside of my space shuttle, am I going to survive? No, I got to put on an upgrade, a new self, that space suit to survive. Are you listening? If you want to go to heaven and have heaven on earth, you better put on your God suit. You better put on the, the new you that's made in the image of God in true righteousness and holiness. That's what it's like to live for Jesus. Now, here's our message right here. It's going to be these two verses. Let's read these together on the count of three. One, two, three. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. See, I can follow that command now, can't I? Can a sinner follow that command? A sinner can't do it. How is a sinner going to follow God's example when they are not even his child? They haven't been born again in his image. They don't have the capability. If your mother was an eagle, could you do what eagles did or do? Yeah, because you would be what? An eagle. Right now, can you do what an eagle does? No, why not? Because you don't come from eagles. Can a sinner do what Christians do? No, because they don't come from God. But those of us who come from God, can we do what God does? Can we literally look to Jesus and be like, that's my example. I'm going to be like Jesus. Can you do that now? Yes, because you've been born in his image. You are his child. Now, now listen, we, we know that sometimes children can come out looking a little different than their parents, right? But, but, but let's just have my brother stand up, Calvin, stand up. If I said, this is my son, you, you, you might say, man, I don't know. If I said, well, he came from my wife's womb, you might say, well, I don't know about where your wife has been. Let's give it up for Calvin. Give it up. Amen. Just, just showing the difference. Now, now, if I show you a picture of my son, he just turned a six years old this weekend, you, you're, you're seeing literally a spitting image of me, 
right? Those of you who have seen Lucas, because there's an image that we bear when all of us, because God is not contained by skin color or hair color or even by gender, the Bible says. He said, let us make them in our image, male and female. He made them, right? Okay, so now watch. When we all look at Jesus spiritually, we're all going to be like looking in a mirror. Man, I look just like him. He looks just like me. Why? Because he started it off. He was the cookie cutter that made us all in his image. He was the one who did that. And I love what Ishmael, our elder, preached the uh, other month. Would you just raise your hand, Ish? Thank you. He preached the other month about why God would have created us, you know, because that's, that's something we don't have a choice over, right? And he was talking about with his wife how they had a choice whether or not they would have children. And he said they didn't look at their house and go, oh, I just wish I had, you know, children here to pick up the garbage, to clean our dishes, to do all of those things. No, they said we want children to share our love with. We want children to know us and for us to know them and for us to love each other. And that's why they had children. Now, why do you think God had children? Just to point his finger and say, don't do this, don't do that. No, God wanted to have children so you could know him and that he could know you in love. And I don't care how tough you are, how manly you are. I've been to jail. I've been locked up. I'm not saying I'm the hardest, but I certainly ain't the weakest. But I want to talk to all my dudes here especially. There ain't nothing wrong with love because you know you love love. Even the toughest guys here love love. They love their sports. They love their gangs. They love their shoes. They love their money. They love their cars. And I know for sure ladies here know something about love. Come on, ladies. You were created for love. I was created to be loved and to love. And so I love what the one theologian said. Know God and know thyself. Love God and love thyself. You truly can't know thyself until you first know God. God is your creator. He knows you from the inside out. You still can't even see you. You just look at flesh. But if I cut off your arm, are you still you? Yeah, if I cut off the other one, you know, I know that would be sick, but y'all follow me. If I cut off every limb, would you still be you? If I took away your body, would you still be you? Yes, because there's a you that's spiritual on the inside. You don't even see you when you look in the mirror, but God sees you, and he loves you, and he loves me, and he says, I made you for relationship. Humanity was made for love within the Trinity. That's why when we call this sermon series In Him, we are in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit represented by that triangle. In Christ, we are in the love relationship of God. Humanity was meant to know love in the Trinity. And that's why he didn't create us alone. That's why he created us with a, whoa, man. That's why he put a woman there. Come on. So we could get it on. And literally, when you read the Bible, come on, somebody say, read the Bible. We're going to get to it. It's at the end of Ephesians 5. He literally said, when man and woman come together and they're getting it on, beads of sweat, come on, and they're biting their lip. Oh, that is like Christ in the church. Woo, you all better get you some Bible. We think sex is dirty. I got my children here. I will not let this generation teach them about sex. I will teach them it from the Bible. But listen to me. We get so excited about sexual experiences and all these things people can't wait to do and all that. And that's because God built in the pleasure, the ecstasy into that moment. But you get to the point of why it's there at that moment. Why doesn't it happen when you use the bathroom? Why don't you have ecstasy? I know some people get happy, but it ain't the same. You know what I'm talking about. Why is it in that moment of intimacy it's there? Because this is what it says. This is a profound mystery. The two becoming one flesh. But I'm talking about Christ and the church. Woo, come on. 
It's like the kids watching, you know, the butterflies. They're separate, and then all of a sudden, Mommy, Daddy, why are they together now flying as one? They got to take care of their business. Come on. What's Mommy and Daddy doing? Well, they becoming one. Don't come inside the door. Come on. See, see, when we become one, I mean, I mean, I know it's funny. We got a lot of young adults, but track with me. And some older adults got to get this too, amen. Don't lose the fun of your sex life because that will keep you young too, amen. But watch this. When husband and wife become one, what are they symbolizing? One, yeah, the oneness of Christ with humanity. Literally, literally God is saying the greatest example I can show what, what a pleasure is like when my spirit and your spirit come together is what a man and a woman have in intimacy when they have, a, uh, have sex and then produce a child. That is what I will let you experience so that you'll know spiritually what I'm doing on the inside. And we need to, ought not, we ought not to even think of that being perverted like God's having sex with my spirit right now. No, because sex is the physical example of what's happening spiritually. And those of us who have made love to our wives, and, un and we understand that love goes beyond that act. It's the union that we have even after that. That's why, everybody, listen to me. You shouldn't be having sex with somebody you're not married to because these souls get intertwined together, and it's like pouring pop into water and now trying to separate them. You're emotionally tied up to each other, and God never meant you to come together physically and then to separate emotionally. That's why it's created to be in oneness. Somebody just got some extra stuff today. Amen. Y'all bless. Come on. But now watch this. This is amazing. We're supposed to walk like Jesus in love. But then hold on. He gave himself as a sacrifice, as an offering. Jesus was so loving, they killed him. That doesn't make a lot of sense. Jesus was so loving, they killed him. Yeah. He laid down his life, but they still wanted to kill him. Like right now, if you're like, I lay down my life for you, I'll be like, no, I, I don't want to kill you. No, I lay down my life for you, Joe. And I'm like, no, I don't want to kill you. Jesus was like, I lay down my life for humanity. And we're like, great, that's exactly what we wanted to do to God. We wanted to rip him down from his throne and show him we're in charge, pin him onto the creation he made, pin him to a tree, and tell him we're here now. Isn't that what humanity meant by the crucifixion? You stay here, God. We'll take over now. See, God let himself. Be sacrificed for love. And so what we'll see is that the world may interpret our love for them in the same exact way. Because if we follow his example and we love them the way he loved them, this may be waiting for us. Maybe that's why Jesus told us to take up our cross as we begin to follow him so that we would be ready to lay down our lives as well. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Let's go on, and then we'll get to that because it gets right back to the serious stuff. Not that that wasn't serious, but it goes right back to the behavioral things, I should say. But among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality. Well, I thought Jesus loves us. Yeah, he loves you to tell you that, right? So, yes, God is love, but God doesn't want you being sexually immoral or any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. We are now holy people. Amen. Come on, nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. Now watch this. For this you can be sure, nor immoral or greedy person, such a person is an idolater. If they have any inheritance, in the, they have no inheritance in the kingdom of God and of Christ. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of such things, God's what comes on them? God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. See, I can't be sure if this app that says we're supposed to get sun this week is right. I can't be sure of that. How many would place a bet right now, your life savings on following this weather app this week? No, you ain't going to do it. But how many know you can place a bet on the judgment of God coming? Of this, you can be sure. 
So that doesn't mean we're angry with people. We were once just like those people. But we're saying to them, you can be sure of this. And we're not going to let you deceive us because we've already been deceived. We were once the lost as well. Now that we've seen the light, you know, we're not going to have a guy with a blindfold try to describe to us the sunrise. Right? We're not going to have somebody with a blindfold uh, try to tell us how to drive a car. It's like, no, 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 man, I got this. Did you sit here until you take off that blindfold? I'm driving you around. And that's literally what it's like for you to be influenced by sinners in your life. And it doesn't matter how old you are. If you allow sinners to influence you, it's literally you, a Christian, with the eyes open, able to see, saying, okay, blind person, drive me home tonight. You wouldn't let Stevie Wonder drive your car home, right? So, so don't let people who don't know God lead your life. Don't be partners with them. Come on. For once you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. What should mark the Christian's life? Goodness, righteousness, truth. Well, pastor, I know there's a lot of hypocrites. Okay, well, there's a lot of hypocrites, too, who are sports fans. Why stop celebrating sports? How many people know that there's people who talk about sports but can't do one thing in the sport? You a hypocrite baseball fan. You a hypocrite ba- basketball fan. I still watch it, right? How many of y'all eat food even though there's bad restaurants out there? Do you go to one restaurant and say, man, this food's terrible. I'm done eating now. Every restaurant's hypocritical. No, listen, just because you've met hypocritical people doesn't mean there's real people holding it down. I've been holding it down for, for over 20 years. Have I made mistakes? Yes, but part of holding it down is repenting when you make those mistakes. You can't hold any of those mistakes against me because I've repented of them. A hypocrite is not somebody who makes mistakes or everybody, including the apostles, would be hypocrites. Hypocrites are those who hide their mistakes and then place judgment on others as if they haven't had those mistakes. Know the difference, amen? So the Bible says, this is what a Christian's like, good, righteous, and true. And you need to find out what pleases the Lord. No excuse, because you're not the person, like the, like the ones in Ephesus. You're not the person living in the jungle not knowing the Word of God. You have the 66 books of the Bible. You have qualified preachers and teachers in this church. We offer you one-on-one mentorship, discipleship. I don't even know of five churches in this city that offer you that. Every time you come through these doors, a mentor can take you under their wing, teach you the Bible one-on-one while you're still waiting to get a call back from that pastor. Are you listening? We got you here. We got you. So I know you've been taught this. It's up for us to put it into action now, for us to discover the will of God. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but expose them. It's shameful to even mention what the disobedient do in secret. So we're not here to glorify sin, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible. And it says everything that's illuminated becomes a light. That's why it said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. How many of you felt like you got uh, risen from the dead as you got born again? When you became a Christian, it was like you got a second chance at life, right? That's what the Bible says our experience is like. Now he says, be very careful then how you live. So that now we're Christians, we're guarding our heart against hate. We should be careful because hate will be a temptation for us, won't it? Uh, people will try to get on our nerves. People will try to persecute us. Even Jesus had people do wrong to him, and he had to be careful not to become bitter, but to be better. So be careful how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. You see us bombing Syria now. Days are evil. You see the politicians and what's going on. Days are evil. You see the racism, the prejudice. Days are evil. You see all the problems in your family and with the people in your neighborhood. Days are evil. All of us got crazy relatives, crazy family members. Amen. I got some that can't even come back to my house till they repent. Amen. You better get right, you know, because we all got messes. In, I mean, the world's a mess, the Bible says, but God is going to make a message out of that mess. Out of all these tests, we're going to have a testimony. Amen. The kingdom is coming on earth as it is in heaven. 
So don't be foolish. Understand what the will of the Lord is. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. So don't hide your problems and addictions or alcohol. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Let the Spirit of God, the new nature, satisfy your soul. Plug into Him. It says, speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. That's why in our church, we not only sing as a congregation from the band, but we let people in the church have a word. They can share it. Or if they want to, you know, make time to sing their own song, the music's loud enough to you won't distract anybody. You can sing a melody during those prayerful times to really experience God in your own words. And I encourage you to do that at home. Write your own songs to your own melody. Just like how children naturally write their own songs, write your own songs to God. Sing and make music from your heart to God. Always giving thanks. Thanks to God the Father for how many things? Everything. How many things? Everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at your neighbor and say that was the introduction. Amen. You all ready for the message now? Okay, let's get into it. Let's put off hate and put on love. You guys ready? So all we got to do to follow that passage is just go to the Gospels, go to Jesus' life, pick out where he did things in love and do the same, right? So simple. That's like so easy. But here's one thing that you're going to notice is that there's really kind of two categories in this culture of love. There's like the non-controversial stuff, the kind of Jesus you want to bring home to meet your parents or bring on your work uh, break to talk to your boss, the one you're not really ashamed of. And then there's crazy, local, really sassy, loving Jesus. And I want you to see that it's really the same Jesus. But I want to start with the non-controversial ones that we all, just, we all just know in our culture, this is how we should love people, okay? Somebody say preach it. All right, here we go. Number one, uh, Jesus healed the sick, and that means he helped the hurting. He helped the needy. This transfers also into orphanages today Christians adopt and how we uh, give food to the homeless and homeless shelters. Do you ever see an atheist homeless shelter? Have you ever heard of an atheist drug rehab? All of these are Christians, my friends, not only in America but around the world. We we get this from the life of Jesus. Look at the gospel here, Matthew 9, 21, verses 20, uh, 21 and 22 of chapter 9. Uh, Jesus said, uh, uh, the woman said to herself, if I only can touch his cloak, I will be healed. Somebody say, I will be healed. Okay, so there's a woman with an issue of blood, and she's saying, if I can only touch Jesus, I will be healed. Jesus turned and saw her. Take heart, daughter, he said. Your faith. Somebody say, my faith. Ha, hallelujah, your faith. Faith has healed you, and the woman was healed at that moment. Don't we get excited about that? Jesus let a woman touch him, had an issue of blood. She was supposed to be considered unclean, but Jesus made time for this hurting woman. He took time then to talk to her and to validate her and to love on her. Isn't that beautiful that our Jesus does that? Our Jesus heals those that others have forgotten about. I love that Jesus. I'm not ashamed of that Jesus. Oh, and Jesus, he knew how to correct the hypocritical people. How many just hypocritical people get on your nerves, right? Come on, they get on my nerves. And it's not even just in religion, man. It's like, like I said, if you don't know sports, you talk about sports. You don't know politics, you talk about it. It's just anybody acting ignorant just gets on my nerves. I see some, I see some eyes going across the room here, some, some b-ball challenges, I guess, being set up right now. Like, bro, you know I'm talking about you. He's talking about you. you don't know. But, but listen, we, we all spot hop hypocrites. We all know they're out there. And so Jesus knew how to deal with them. So there's this woman. She's caught in adultery. Where's the dude she's having sex with? They don't care because they're hypocrites, right? So they drag this poor woman out into the public, and they're going to stone her. They're going to put Jesus on blast and say, what do you think we should do? Because the law does say we should stone her. And remember, it's not an angry Old Testament God and then a New 
Testament happy God. Jesus is the God of the Old and the New Testament. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. But what Jesus has shown them is that they twisted the law just for their own benefit. The ones in charge were oppressing everybody. So he looks right at him and he says in John 8, 7, let any of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Come on, Jesus. Man, we love that, Jesus. Judge not, judge not, judge not. Come on, we say, judge not, judge not. Woo! Man, we're so excited. Everybody dropping stones. You can't judge me. Only God can judge me, says little Wayne's tattoo. Only God can judge me, says the co-worker as they're taking an hour break when it was only supposed to be a half hour. Only God. God can judge me as the politician stealing all of our money. Only God can judge me. Without, you without the first stone, you throw it. You pick it up and show me you're without sin. I mean, we just love that Jesus, don't we? He knows how to put us all in our place. Oh, and we love the Jesus. It's a little bit harder, but we still love the Jesus that tells us to forgive our enemies because we got a lot of enemies and frenemies and people who don't like us. And, and we understand, we, you, you know, we got to let it go. We got to let it go. Somebody say, let it go. Let it go. Come on, you know, you can't hold on to that anymore. <laughs> you got to let it go. Okay, Jesus, what do you say about me letting go of my past bitterness? Luke 6, 27, Jesus said, but to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Play, pray for those who mistreat you. I mean, this is Mahatma Gandhi right here. This is Mother Teresa. This is Martin Luther King Jr. stuff, right? We just love it, right? Oh, we're just going to forgive everybody, okay? Someone slaps you on the one cheek. Turn to them the other. Now, we don't really like that part, but we'll go, go with it. It's still a little bit easier to swallow, right? Someone takes your coat. Don't withhold your shirt from them. Look at your neighbors right now and see if you like their coat because they're going to give it to you. Come on. They believe in Jesus' word. Do you like your neighbor's coat? Do you like their coat? Just remember that they may ask you for your coat. Give to everyone who asks of you. Anybody want a lot of, anybody want a new minivan? Ish is giving them out today. <laughs> Give to everyone who asks of you. And I, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, don't even demand it back. Neighbor, you can keep my lawnmower, friend. You can keep my eyeliner or sister. You can keep that dress. Okay, you can have it. I don't want it anymore. Dude, you can keep my video game. You can keep my ball, right? It's all good. Do, let's read verse 31 together. One, two, three. Do to others as you would have them do to you. And everybody said, amen. We're so, we're so in this right now. Man, we love this Jesus. This is, this is good stuff right here. And then lastly, Jesus knew how to break down cultural barriers. When he told the story of the Good Samaritan, the Good Samaritan was a person that was oppressed by the Jewish people. Now, you have to understand racism and culturalism back then wasn't based on color. There was black Jews. There was light-skinned Jews. Moses married an Ethiopian, okay, just to give you the understanding there. But to them, it was where, what, where you were from, what tribe you came from. And so the Jewish people were like, to the Samaritans, you're not really from our tribe because your folk married pagan folk, okay? So the Samaritans were half pagan and half Jewish, and they were just looked down upon. They were called dogs, you know, by these Jewish people. And what's crazy is the Jewish people were oppressed by the Romans, and then the Romans oppressed the Samaritans, and then the Samaritans must have oppressed their dogs or something because it just kept on going. Everybody's just oppressing everybody. But here's the story about this Samaritan. He's the good guy, and the Jewish people are the bad guys. So this would be like Jesus telling a story 
story to a bunch of white slave owners in the South during the time of the slave trade and say, let me tell you a story. I'm going to make y'all look stupid, and the black guy's going to be the hero of the story, and I'm going to tell you to be more like him and stop being like your cousin Bubba. Y'all listening? That's the story that Jesus tells. And how many are happy Jesus knew how to set it straight? Luke 10, 33, but a Samaritan. Come on. He didn't ask for reparations. He didn't come and kick the Jew and say, well, you had it coming. But the Samaritan came as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. Isn't that amazing? He, he didn't say, well, you had it coming. You had it coming. I'm going to take this because I know I had a lot coming to me too. No, he said, I'm going to help you. And he becomes the hero of the story. Don't you love that, Jesus? He just flipped the script on the power structure at that time. And now if we could just have Adam come and play the guitar, we're going to learn how to follow Jesus' example, as Paul taught us, by healing the sick, by correcting hypocritical judgments, by loving even our enemies, and breaking down racism. Is that where it ends with Jesus? Is that all Jesus had to say? No, there's a whole lot of other red stuff in the Bible, isn't there? There's a whole lot of other red stuff. Well, you know, Jesus got sassy, too. Look at it right here. Jesus rebuked people. This is the controversial side. This is actually what got him crucified was starting a fight like this. Matthew 23, 16, he said, Woe to you, blind guides. You say if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. But anyone who swears by the gold of the temple is bound by that oath. You blind fools, which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? This would literally be like us going to our Catholic relatives, going, you blind fools, that Pope can't help you and his hat is stupid. Say what? And I love you, cousin. You don't love me. You just insulted everything about me. I was talking to a woman the other day. She said, I was born Catholic. I'm going to die Catholic. I'm like, okay, you can be born stupid and die stupid if you want. But I'll tell you what, you can be born again smart. I said, my, I said, my family did a bunch of stupid things they taught me, and I don't do it anymore because I honor God above my family tradition. My Italian grandfather lived on a farm, butchered his own meat, and would eat it raw, eat his own meat raw. Do I follow Grandpa because Grandpa did it? I was born a raw eat meter. I'm going to die a raw eat meter. Well, stupid is as stupid does, says the theologian Forrest Gump. Now, what happened here? What just happened in Jesus' love? Is it a different kind of love? Is it a less kind of love? It's all love. You see, what would happen if I, as a parent, saw my, my children are, are right here, eight years old and nine years old, Bethany and Hannah. What if I saw them eating dirt by the spoonful, and they're of sound mind? Would I, get, would I get them live on Facebook and say, man, look at how smart my kids are. Man, they eat dirt by the spoonful. Show them how you do it, kids. Would I do that? No, I would say, stop that. And then if they did it again, I'd be like, you, you really need to stop that. And then at some point, I would say, listen, it is stupid to eat dirt. Don't be a fool. Do not eat this dirt. This will kill you. Jesus is not telling them this because he's like, no, 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 no. I want you guys to go to hell. I'm going to heaven with all my disciples. He's actually telling them they're blind guys because he knows what the end looks like. 
When a blind driver gets behind a car, they get in a wreck. When a blind religious leader starts telling you, you got to confess your sins in a closet to be forgiven to Father Tom, they're lying to you. Jesus is saying the forgiveness is not there. When you exalt a man and start thinking he's above other men, he is not that. You are in trouble. That, that's what the heart is from. It's a heart of brokenness, but it says, I love you, but too much to let you stay that way. Somebody say the truth sometimes hurts. Literally, the Bible says in the book of Proverbs that an open rebuke, an open correction is better than hidden love. Okay? If I had like a booger just hanging out my nose and you saw it, what would you do? You would tell me, right? What if you didn't tell me? Do you really love me? No, because that's hidden love. But if you corrected me, you really love me. When we're looking at the world, are we really trying to say we're better than them? No. What we're trying to do is say this is the way our Creator said. And if it's not right, you got to make it right. But it's part of Jesus' example. Let's keep going. He exposed people's sin. Imagine this. You're sitting down with Jesus, and Jesus says, go get your husband. And then you go, you know what? I don't have a husband. Now imagine Jesus saying this to you, John 4, uh, 17 and 18. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now tricking with, that man that's sleeping in your bed, he ain't your husband. So what you've said is quite true. Yeah, that's the way you are. you got a lot of baby daddies. Go get them. I'm going to talk to you about your sex life right now. Oh, Jesus cares about my sex life? That's secret. <laughs> That's a secret. He can't do that. Jesus can't talk about how I'm having sex with men that aren't my husband. Who does he think he is, my God or something? Y'all didn't get that. Who does Jesus think he is, my God? Jesus, how dare you? You're not bringing that Jesus home to meet your parents. Jesus is going to tell your business. You're not going to bring this Jesus out to the bar after work because Jesus is going to start calling out your friends. Come on, Jesus. Do you think now we're getting a reason maybe why some people who didn't want to hear this wanted to crucify him? You don't crucify somebody you love, do you? How about this? You remember that story about the woman caught in adultery and they're, you know, they're wanting to throw the stones and he says, who's ever without stone, uh, sin, throw the first stone? And, and Jesus, you know, then says, I don't judge you. What did Jesus say after John 8, 11? Go and sin no more. So what do I say to Belmont and Clark? What do I say to Donald Trump? What do I say to Hillary Clinton? What do I say to Ellen DeGeneres? What do I say to all of them? We don't judge you and put you in hell. We love you. But go and sin no more. Jesus had a crippled man that was healed. He was crippled for a long time. Man, now he's walking around. The Bible says in John 5, 14, he found him later. And he said, he said to him in the temple, I see you're well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Now, I don't do this to be in a mocking way because I, I have friends that are handicapped. We, we honor the handicapped. But listen, just imagine, dude's handicapped. Boom, handicapped, right? But somehow he can still sin. He's by the pool. Maybe some good-looking girl comes by the pool. He's like, all right. Let me look at this girl, all right. How many of people who are handicapped can still sin? I've been to Bourbon Street watching people wheel down Bourbon Street with their wheelchair to look at breast assist. Are you listening? You can still sin. So now watch what Jesus says. I know you're a sinner, but that's not why you're sick. Some people think superstition plays a role of karma. That's not true. Sickness came because we broke God's moral code in the garden, and when the moral code broke, DNA code broke. That's why children can be born sick. 
the physical law is broke. That's why there can be natural disaster. It's off tilt. Don't have the firmament to protect us as we used to as a greenhouse. We lived in a greenhouse, by the way. It didn't even have to rain. It would just come up from the earth, this mist, the Bible says, right? So now this man who was handicapped, boom, he's good. He's ready to live life. And God's like, hey, you remember when you were like this? Let me tell you something. You don't live for me. You keep sinning. You keep looking at those girls. It will be a lot worse for you in eternity than being handicapped now. See, God loved a handicapped man. See, I'm not doing it to make fun of it. I just want you to get the illustration. God loved a handicapped man enough to use his sickness as an illustration to say if you don't stop sinning, something worse will come on you. And this time it's your fault. Handicap wasn't. Are you listening? Is Jesus being mean to that old handicapped guy? Like, man, what did he do wrong? No, handicapped people are sinners to stop sinning. Handicapped person. Somebody need to get one-eyed Willie from the from the, the bus stop over here and tell him the same thing. Amen. Homeless person with the sign coming over all pitiful looking, stop sinning or something worse will come on you. We'll still feed them, but I ain't giving you money. You can come, you can come to the mission. They got food for it. Well, that's not good enough for me. Well, I'm sorry. It's good enough for me if I was homeless. Hello, somebody. Are you listening? I'll give you a hand up, not a hand out. Jesus loved him enough to tell him the truth. Okay, now watch this. Right here at the end, most controversial statement of Jesus probably found in the whole Bible. You know what it was? Jesus told you to hate. Wow. Isn't that mind-blowing? Jesus, full of love, taught you to hate. And guess what he taught you to hate? He taught you to hate crack. He says this. He says, I want you to hate rape. I want you to hate child molestation. No. Watch what Jesus tells you to hate. Tell me if it just don't blow your mind. Luke 14, 25, large crowds were traveling with Jesus, large crowds. So Jesus wasn't ashamed to say this even if he was on Oprah's show. He wasn't ashamed on any CNN channel. Jesus was going to say it. Turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. If you are not a mature Christian, you don't understand that. You may literally think God now wants you to live like a Buddhist. And Buddhists appear to you to be cute, but Buddhists literally believe in this. Buddha taught that the worst temptation in his life, he called it his ball and chain, which prevented him from karma, because karma, or excuse me, nirvana, detachment, was his wife and children. He said, they are my ball and chain. I must renounce them as, I must renounce myself as their father and as a husband and become solitary in my pursuit of detachment and only achieve nirvana. And we think that's cute when uh, Hollywood stars want to be like Buddha. He was at worst, the Bible says, and even a pagan forsaking his wife and kids. Are you listening? So you may think, Jesus just said that. No, he didn't. I want you to imagine God says to you, the journey of your salvation starts by being born again and us ascending to the top of Mount Everest. But here's the deal. You can only do it one way. Here's how you ascend Mount Everest. You cling onto me with everything you have, and I take you up, and I finish the salvation. I do the journey. When I start, I finish. It happens. That's how you do it. Now imagine you look back at Jesus and say, can I bring my mother? And he says, no, it's only you. I have a place for your mother, but your mother decides 
for herself. You decide for yourself, just like on a plane. Before you put on the mask of your neighbor, put on your own mask. Before you try to save your mom, be saved first. You cling on to me with everything. Because Jesus understood that anybody who tries to cling to their mom and to Jesus can't make it. Anyone who tries to cling on to wife and Jesus can't make it. Even children, the most precious gift you'll ever have in this life, you cannot cling on to them and Jesus for salvation. I must cling on to Jesus first. And then I must teach my children to follow my example. Look at daddy. Daddy's on Jesus. Daddy's holding on to Jesus. Hold on to Jesus like I'm holding on. And he'll hold on to you. Can I hear an amen? And so that's the deal. You want to walk with Jesus, you must forsake all. You can't let family traditions be idols. You can't let what your children want become your idol. I've seen pastors change their opinion on homosexuality because their children said they had same-sex attractions. I'm not saying that can't even happen here, but we teach our children it's still a sin. Put on the new you, be who God called you to be. But I can't change what this says. I can't change what Jesus said. I wasn't there when he created Adam and Eve and said, be fruitful and multiply. But I will be true to his word. You see, people around you may want to influence you and say, well, do it for me. Do it for me. Listen, you can't even, I, don't, I know that sounds noble. You know, come to church for, for, with me. Come on, do that. And parents, you do have the responsibility to take your children with you until they're 18, until, you know, they make their own decision. I get that. But, but when it comes to being born again, you, you can't do that for them. And even as noble as it sounds, like, like, like do it for me. Live for Jesus for me. Don't you want to be in heaven with mommy and dad? No, you can't manipulate them like that. If their God gave them a choice, you as a parent must give them a choice because you'll never love them more than their God loves them. If God let Adam and Eve walk right out that garden, I got to let my children walk right out of heaven too. Are you listening? I'm not saying it would be easy. I'm not saying it didn't break Jesus' heart. That's why he came to earth to die for our sins so that he could give us a second chance where angels only got one. And so do we hate as the world hates? Of course not. We become the best parents, the best husbands and wives, and brothers and sisters. But we do it unto God. So how do we apply this message now? Well, we take the good, the controversial, with the awesome, the non-controversial. We take it all. How many are going to take all of Jesus today? Amen. What we're going to do is we're going to pray for the sick. We're going to practice adoption. We're going to help the poor. We're going to help the needy. We're not going to be hypocrites. We're going to live honestly as a disciple and ask others to follow our lead. We're going to do unto others as we would want done unto us. I'm preaching better than you're shouting. You can say amen. We're going to treat everyone, no matter what race or culture they come from, the same because they're made in the image of God. But then you know what? We're also going to rebuke false religion. We're going to say that's not the way to heaven. Jesus said he's the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody gets there except through him. And we're going to be open to hear prophetic words about people's secret sin. To say, man, I don't feel right about you. i got to tell you what I sense in my heart, even if it doesn't mean you like me anymore. Come on, and I'm going to preach to everyone that God is, God is the one who loves them, even if they're a homosexual or do abortion or adultery or sex outside of marriage, pornography, or talk dirty or a racist. I'll still tell them God loves you. But I'm going to say he loves you too much to let you stay that way. And then you know what I think we all need to do? We need to make sold-out disciples who are willing to give their all for Jesus. Because when it came down to Jesus doing this, they put him on a cross. So I'm willing to tell the whole story.
I'm willing to go all the way with this. Think about it like this uh, as the band and altar workers come, uh, please. John 3.16. Let's say it together in the King James. One, two, three. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. How many believe that scripture? The same John who wrote that is the same John who wrote this. The Gospel of John is where the John 3.16 comes from. And those are the words of Jesus. This is the epistle of John. It's a letter written to a church. And I love how it's situated in the same place. It's 3.16. So John 3.16 says, God so loved us that he gave his son to die for us, that we wouldn't perish, but we would have everlasting life, right? So what does 1 John 3.16 say? This is how we know what love is. See, I don't, I don't determine what love is based on your emotions or my emotions. That's why so many people have divorces is because they're only emotional. They're not really building on love. You can fall in and out of love. If you can fall in and out of love, it wasn't love to begin with. That's what I believe. So watch this. Watch this. Do I feel compassion for the gang member? Do I feel compassion for the powerful who get deceived by their wealth? whether it be Drake or Trump or Clinton, you know, do, do I feel compassion for, for Bill Gates and Mark Zuckerberg, you know, atheists? Yeah, 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 I do, watch. But my compassion for them doesn't change what God wants for them. Do you get that? And so Jesus loved us so much, he wasn't going to lie to us. That's literally what he said as they were about ready to kill him. He said, I can't lie to you. I came from heaven. What do you want me to say? That's the truth. And he said to them, what good work do you want to kill me for? And they, and they said, well, because you make yourself equal to God. And he said, my father and I are one. See, that was the truth. And it's the same thing. You might find yourself in tough situations where you're asked to tell the truth about a situation in the Bible or a moral question. And you need to know what love looks like. It looks like you standing up even when they want to crucify you for the truth. This is what love looks like. Jesus laid down his life for us. So he told the truth even when they wanted to kill him. He kept telling it. He kept telling. He didn't stop even though it made them angry. He wasn't intentionally trying to make them angry. He wanted them to be saved. But he kept doing it because he wanted to give them the best chance of being saved. What's the best chance of me saving my daughter if she's running off a cliff? Hey, have a great day. Or stop, there's a cliff. How many parents are about ready to lose their mind every time your child gets close to a sidewalk? That's me. Stop, whoa. I don't say have a nice day. What are Christians supposed to say to a world where the wrath of God is coming? For sure, you can count on it. As surely as he came the first time as a baby, he's coming as a king. What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to tell the world. You ever heard of uh, Penn and Teller, the magicians? The big guy, Penn, he's an atheist. All, all people throughout all cultures have said this about us as Christians, but this one sticks out to me because it's most recent. After doing one of his shows, he's a known atheist. He, he mocks Christians on his HBO show. And uh, a Christian came up to him and gave a Bible, and he actually made a YouTube, a video, a YouTube video about it. And he said, I respect this Christian. Christian gave me a Bible, told me to believe in God, said that if I didn't believe in Jesus, I would perish. 
but that he loved me, he would be praying for me, and he wanted to make sure I had this. He said, you know what I don't understand? He said, what I don't understand are all the people around me who are supposed Christians who say they believe in a hell but never warn me about it. He said, those are the ones I have a problem with. He said, the Christians who are out there at least telling the world, you got to give it to them. They believe what they say. Because if they really think we're going to hell, they should be on the streets. They should be calling us up, knocking on our doors, if they really believe this was true. As one man said to another man, if I believed as, as a Christian, as what you claim to believe about hell, I would crawl on my hands and knees over broken glass across all of England in the hopes of just one man would be spared from that place. And he said it to a lukewarm Christian, and yet you say you believe. You haven't convinced me you believe in my soul and the perishing of it. And so what does it look like when we lay down our lives for people? What it looks like is we give ourselves as a sacrifice. I don't want you to feel sorry for me, but you know, guys, I sacrifice myself. I could preach to a bigger crowd if I don't say the sassy things I say, right? I mean, come on, let's just be honest. This guy is awesome. He writes most of our songs. We are a great team. The church loves you, everybody. Nobody ever complains about that, right? Come on, give it up for Adam and the band. Amen. I mean, you know that. You know that. I mean, in the, in the first half of the message, it just, every week if you just came, first half of the message, just the good stuff or the stuff that's non-controversial, that is so easy. Your friends will stay, more people will come, pastor will make more money, get to pay him, get to pay the other pastors. We could build bigger buildings, and I'm not saying big buildings are bad, but you know, every time you bring a visitor here, it's almost like you got to warn them. Now, hold on. Hold on here. My pastor's a little crazy, okay? Uh, you're going to think he's cool at the beginning by how, how casual he dressed, how funny he talks, but he will hit you harder than these three-piece suit pastors, man. He believes this stuff. He really talks about heaven and hell, but just give him a chance. I had one of my friends come and listen to me when I went back to my hometown. He said, man, I've never been offended so much in my entire life. He said, you talked about everybody, everything. It's like I'm going to hell 10 times, you know, serving 30 life sentences in hell. My neighbors, this, everybody, you know. He said, but this, this is what he told me then. He said, but I've never heard a preacher make more sense. Like you explained it, you went verse by verse, you know, you just you broke it down. So then he had a choice, whether he agrees or disagrees, right? And so you are going to find yourself, listen to me, my friends. It is just not me holding the mic up here. If you haven't already, you will. You will come to defining moments in your friendships, on your job, with people around you. And they are going to put you on blast and want you to talk about these things. And what I say you do is do exactly what John said. Be like Jesus. This is what love looks like. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. So you know what? They don't always like me. That's all right. I laid down my life for them. At least they heard the truth. They got offended because I said such and such. All right. Well, at least they came to church and heard the truth. I mean, I'm not trying to be a martyr. I'm not trying to play a little violin. Feel sorry for me. It's just, hey, man, I'm a 41-year-old kid. Uh, that, a kid that grew up to a 41-year-old man, and I'm going to break it down the way I understood as a young man to a grown man. I, I, you know, teenagers will understand me. I mean, I'm just going to do my part and let God save them. And I'm wanting to know, are you willing to love people like Jesus? Because here's the deal. In closing, my third closing, is just imagine you're in heaven now, right, and you're getting to hear everybody's story. 
There's going to be some people up there, and God bless them. They're going to have been raised a Christian, and, and they're going to have, you know, given their heart to Jesus at camp or at Sunday school. And those people, we need those people. My children are like that, right? But there's going to be other people up there, and you're going to say, how did you get here? And, then, and they're going to be like, oh, man, I went to a church service. Boom, boom, ping, ping, pow. I got hit so many ways. I was told this. I was told this. But you know what? It was like my eyes opened. I can imagine a Jewish person talking to us in heaven. You know what? I was one of the people he called a blind fool. I was one of the people he called that to. And you know what? He was right. I wasn't supposed to be eating dirt. I wasn't supposed to be going to Father Tom. I wasn't supposed to be a hypocrite and pretending I you know, didn't have these issues. And so I hope that people will see the genuineness of our testimonies either here or in heaven. Because I know for a fact that I'm not trying to make this more difficult. And I know Jesus wasn't either. We're just trying to say the truth. Amen? So would you just close your eyes with me right now before we go. Thank you for your patience today. If you're not born again, would you ask Jesus into your heart? Say, I, Lord, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Be the Lord of my life. Change me. See, do, do in me, God, what you said you would do in Ephesians. Take off the blinders. Take away the ignorance. Take away the hardest stone. Just talk to him right now. Just between you and him. Those of us who are here that are Christians, and maybe you haven't been living according to the word, and God loved you enough today to tell you some things about yourself. Just repent. You don't have to beg for it. You don't have to wonder if he loves you or not. You're made in his image. Forgiveness is a right of the child of God. It's not an excuse to keep sinning, but it's the right that you have. And then those of us who are here say, man, I'm living it out, Pastor. Would you right now just start to pray for people in your world, in your life, that you can love with the controversial love or the non-controversial love. You'll love them either way and lay down your life for them right now. Come on, just pray for two or three people in your life. Tough conversations you have to have. But you're saying, I'm going to do it. I'll just... I'll just lay down my pride and say, okay, they may get angry with me, but I'm going to tell them. I'm willing to lay down my life for others. I'm willing to be made fun of. I'm willing to suffer reproach, persecution need be, not looking for it, and I'm not going to intentionally be rude, but I want to love people like Jesus. I want to lay down my life for people. I want to help them to come to know the Jesus I know. A few more moments few more moments all of us praying in one way or another either you're coming to Jesus making it right with the Jesus you haven't been serving right or today you're saying use me Lord to love just like you've loved if you're going to be an instrument of God's love would you stand up we'll dismiss in just a moment but let's worship one more time before we go one more time before we go and sing about God's love if you believe it today you're going to be an instrument sing it out today don't you know God loved us before we ever sinned? 